0: let let me do uh, one thing. First of all, let me say a a very um, gracious thank you to Andy Burroughs on the staff at First Baptist Church. He was our lead person to uh, prepare for your visit. So we are grateful to God for him and his team that uh, took care of you and uh, worked with all of you. So credit where credit's due. Everybody say, you know, Pastor Johnny, thank you for hosting it. And I think... uh, I kind of just showed up like you did, but uh, somebody behind the scenes really worked. And I, I really am uh, elated, to say the least, that uh, Kevin Ezell is leading us in North American missions, and for Aaron in our church planning, and really their whole staff, I've had the privilege to know so many of them, and even the privilege of pastoring many of them, I'm so uh, grateful for them. And then for all of you that are commissioned tonight, God love you, God bless you, we're just so thrilled for you and for the places you'll be serving, for the experiences that you'll have and the privilege of making Jesus known. John 17, I want to talk a little bit along the lines of the fact that when we are united, the Father is glorified. His story, and it's um, a great revelation of the story of Jesus, even in his prayer. And his story affects our relationships. And we're going to focus in in just a moment on verses um, twenty through twenty-three. Uh, this could be a message that could be entitled "Lord, uh, Listen to Your Son Praying." Uh, we sing a little song, "Lord, Listen to Your Children Praying," when we do our call to prayer on Sunday night. Song always encourages me, but this is the time that Jesus and the high priestly prayer, spending time with His Father. Don't know any other way to set it up than the fact that it's right after the Lord's Supper. Jesus is about to cross the Kidron Valley, make his way into the Garden of Gethsemane. He's uh, less than um, a day away from his death on the cross in order to satisfy his father's justice and uh, pay the ransom for our sins. And the disciples are eavesdropping. Could you, could you imagine listening in? And I'll just confess, I'm not only nosy, I eavesdrop. I, I always like to listen in on a conversation. And then you say sometimes, oh, forgive me, I overheard. <laughs> You're kidding. But um, <laughs> in this passage, let me just highlight some of these passages. Now, just picture this. I picture Jesus in a on his knees or laid out before the Father And he's talking to his father and his disciples are listening. And just listen to a little of the language to just sort of um, set it up and warm our hearts toward uh, our Savior. In verse 2, he says, As you have given him, speaking of the father giving the son authority over all humankind, all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. One thing we all know is Jesus is God's gift from the father. But the Bible also teaches that we are God's gift to the son. We're God's gift to the son. The father planned it. But listen what he says in verse number four. I have glorified you on the earth. But wouldn't that be awesome when we come down near the end? I'd like to be able to say a day before I depart, God, I feel in Jesus' name. Or the Father, tell me you've glorified me on earth. And he says, I've finished the work which you have given me to do. And the work was the cross. The Father was glorified through the finished work of the cross. Now, isn't that amazing? The Father gave us to Jesus before the foundation of the world. But the Son had to purchase us. Uh, That's amazing. And I believe that Jesus... Uh, So loved the world that he was delighted to give his life's blood and to die on the cross in order to purchase us. I I can't help but, as a father and a grandfather, think that the father planned it and the son purchased it. uh, That still happens at my house. (laughs) There's some things I planned. We recently had a little birthday party, and my daughter bought me something. I said, Holly, this is really nice. I mean, you you really went to great expense, and it means a lot to me. And what did you pay for it? You'll see when you get your American Express bill. (laughs) But the father planned it, but the son purchased it. He purchased us on the cross. Uh, In verses 1 through 5, Jesus is praying for himself. In verses 6 through 19, Jesus is praying for his disciples. In verses 20 through 26, uh, Jesus is praying for those who have yet to believe in the first century. He's praying for those who are going to be saved. In verse number 24, he says something that greatly inspires me. It's one thing to say, all this in heaven too. It's, It's wonderful to know that when this life is over, that when I take my last breath, that I'll spend eternity with Jesus. But let me tell you something that's even greater. It is wonderful to know that when I take my last breath, Jesus wants me to spend eternity with him and he wants to spend eternity with me. Listen to what he says in this prayer. Can you imagine being there in the first century and hearing him pray something like this? Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. I'm looking forward to to spending eternity with him, but he's looking forward to spending eternity with me, and I heard it. He spoke it in his word to his father. I think about my Christian journey. It all started on a snowy Sunday night at Longleaf Baptist Church in Wilmington, North Carolina, 20 years old, when I was saved on a Sunday evening. I'd never been to an evening service in my life, never been to Bible study, never owned a Bible, But got under such conviction that morning, went back that night, and gave my life to Jesus. I experienced an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. God saved me. It's been 40 years now. I've known Him two thirds of my life more than I went without Him. It was in the context of the church that I still remember not only going on Wednesday night, but going to Sunday school the next week and church training and Being in morning worship, evening worship, Wednesday night Bible study. It was in that context I began to discover that God had given me some gifts. And he continued to just grow me and use me. My spiritual gift is exhortation. I'm never more... Enjoying the ministry of Jesus, then when God places someone in my life and I can seek to encourage them, I believe that's the reason we have ministries like City of Refuge and Hope Quest and others where we try to encourage, especially those that are on the same journey that we're on. It it was in the home that I feel I really first of all begin to exercise my spiritual gifts in the context of my sanctification. I really believe that my children learn to forgive in the house, I think they learn to give in the house. And then I'm grateful that the church complimented but could never replace what Jesus was doing in my home. And, and then it's like God pressed me out in the world. And because I'd managed to pool room and come out of such paganism, people ask me sometimes, how did you become such a vibrant witness in, in your early days? People were asking me, haven't seen you in a pool room lately. Uh, we always gambled on you. Where you been? And I just told the story. And it's amazing what God has done in the context of the body of Christ. I oftentimes think, where would I be, not only if it were not for the Lord, but I want to be honest, where would I be without the body of Christ, without the church? God has so used the church to encourage and minister in my life. I want to read part of a song that you oftentimes sing at church, but I didn't know there were other stanzas to it, but it's in the context of unity, and one thing that encourages me here, I was thinking how at one time the Iraqi war was or was going in such a way that our, uh, our president was so concerned and he thought, we've got to send more troops. And the troops that were there were discouraged. And so he sent tens of thousands of more troops to Iraq. When they got there, they interviewed some of our guys on the ground. And I remember them saying that Having the others come and stand with them, embolden them. Now, I want to be honest. When I come in a room and there's over 2,000 people. And and we're all here saying, boy, we we wouldn't want to take North America for Jesus. We want to plant churches. We want to make a difference, uh, be on mission in this country. It it emboldens me. It encourages me to think, man, I'm telling you, I think we can do it together. And and it just overwhelms me. But it speaks of the unity that Jesus prayed for that we'll read about and speak briefly to in John chapter 20, John 17, verse 20 in just a moment. Listen to these words. Blessed be the tie that binds. Our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship, wait a minute, of kindred minds. The Bible speaks of these truths and it's like to that above. And that's what it's supposed to be like. Our unity is to resemble the unity that God the Father had with God the Son. Uh, It's just remarkable what this passage says. That little song goes on to say, Before our Father's throne we pour our ardent prayers Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. We share a a mutual woe. It's what we just heard prayed for by Wanda Lee. Our mutual burdens bear and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, and there is coming a day we will part, it gives us inward pain. But we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. I mean, bottom line, you've heard it a thousand times. There will never be another time that all of us are together on this side. And so it really is true when some leave tonight, we say, hey, if we don't meet again here, hope to see you there. That's more than just a a, a little sweet passing saying. It really is true that if I don't see you here, I'll rest assured I will be there. Thanks to Calvary. So this passage magnifies this unity. Listen to verse 20 through 23. I do not pray for these alone, that is for his disciples, his followers, first century, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. The passage magnifies the unity Christ prayed for. Uh, Christ was uh, inward. Speaking of the unity God had brought in our heart, the spiritual unity based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't care about the church or the body of Christ until I became part of it. And ever since I did, God has placed a love in my heart, a desire to unite with the body of Christ to try to make a difference for the kingdom of God. First Corinthians 6, 17 says, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So God made me one with him. Now I want you to listen to this. The Bible teaches not only that I'm to be, I am to be one with Jesus Christ and I am one with him because of the cross, but the Bible also teaches that I'm to be one with you. And sometimes people talk a lot about this spiritual union relationship with God the Father, but if we're going to get the mission accomplished in this world, there's going to have to be a oneness and a unity within the context of the body of Christ. So those who know Jesus have this common unity, common bond, we're community, the sharing of life together. Uh, Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Many of you have been used by God to be an encouragement, to sharpen me, to challenge me, to be what I could be for Christ. I read recently for only heaven knows how many times Dietrich Bonhoeffer's little book on life together. He explains that living in fellowship or communion with other believers is an essential ingredient in becoming Christ-like. Sometimes someone says, I, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. That would be like saying, Brother Johnny, we like you, we just don't like your wife, Janet. I'm telling you, the church is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And I'm telling you, I'm not only in, listen, I'm not only in love with Jesus, I'm telling you, I'm in love with the body of Christ. I believe one of the reasons God's given such significant unity for 26 years in a church that before I showed up, split, fired the pastor, fired the minister of music. And this church has never had a negative vote, which is a miracle of God. 26 years, never voted no. And if a lot of our people are here tonight, don't you get any ideas? I like it this way so he's given you your spiritual giftedness in order that you may fulfill the role in the body of christ and the reason god's given us such oneness we just really want to do the mission of jesus the only thing that grieves me is that i need to spend even more and more time in the presence of jesus to hear his heart because the only thing this fellowship's not been willing to embrace is what i've not been spiritual enough to lead them to do what a great joy. There's no reservation here, no hesitation. They're ready to move. And I feel that's what's happening when the context of the unity that God is trying to bring together in our denomination. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians twelve seven that the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one of us to profit all of us. I'm telling you, when God ministers and moves in the context of the body called Southern Baptist or in the body of Christ, the church universal, God is glorified when we are unified as a body. So others spiritually profit when we participate in the body, allowing his spiritual resources to be used for the edification of the body of Christ. So God designed us with a deep desire for relationship in order to drive us into an intimate commitment with Christ. There's, there's a void in a person's life that doesn't know Jesus. And I, I'll tell you, I think there's still a, a fire in a person's belly that needs to be quenched, that desires to do something significant for the kingdom of God while there is time. Do you ever think about the fact that one day standing before the judgment of Christ and it so inspires you that you so desire to do now what you'll be glad you did then? What, what a difference it makes to live with that perspective. And so the only way such a genuine community as possible is because of the love of God within us that he's placed there. So our sharing our life, that's what it is. When we say community, people say, I'm in a community group. I'm gonna tell you another community group. I'm in a community group called the body of Christ. I am doing life with those who know Jesus. And by the way, they don't have to be Baptists. When I was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, I remember ministering to some people in Turkey. And someone wrote me from the field and said, hold on, you, you're representing Southern Baptist. You better watch who you're working with. I'm telling you, if they name the name of Jesus and they've been to the same cross that I've been to, they don't have to wear my same badge. I'm telling you, there's a great big body out there. And just for the record's sake, if they were only us out there, there's no hope of ever getting the job done. And that's why he's calling for unity. And by the way, when he's praying, we weren't established yet. And he's calling for unity in the body of Christ. He knew there were all kinds of differences out there. But he was calling us to be one. Because he knew what a tremendous force we would be. Just for the record's sake, I plan to eat at Chick-fil-A tomorrow because I'm just unified. I want to do something. I really do. I want to make a statement and make a stand. And by the way, I'm tired of being backed in the corner. And one of the reasons it seems like there's such a a voice against the body of Christ is because it's just that. They are coming together to speak up. But if the body of Christ ever comes into unity with the Son of God for the express purpose that he be glorified, we would be a mighty force in this area for the kingdom of God. And so he wants to bring us together. Bonhoeffer said this about unity. He said, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. Did you hear that? Recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. That's, that's what's at stake. The, the, his name, his renown, his glory and making it known. So our fellowship together is visible evidence that we've entered the body of Christ. You see, our fellowship together is meant to be a reflection of heaven and Jesus is preparing us for that. Here's a great statement by Jonathan Lehman. Jonathan said, the local church enables the world to look upon the canvas of God's people and see an authentic painting of Christ's love and holiness. Jesus said that they would know we were his disciples by our love, God bringing us together, loving one another, unifying us for the express purpose that God would be glorified the bible teaches we're to be coming together for the express purpose of of exciting one another and inciting one another so much more as we see the day approaching it means we stir one another up stimulating and exciting someone to do something emboldening one another to be bold in our approach to make a difference for the kingdom of god so just quickly right on time There's a petition of unity here in verse number 20. It's interesting, in verse nine, verse 15, and verse number 20, Jesus in talking to his father said these words three times, I do not ask. He talked about what he did ask for, but he said, I do not ask. So here Jesus is praying for those who will be saved. Did you see that in verse number 20? I do not pray for these alone, that is my disciples, but also for those who will believe on me through their words. He knew that everybody that would ever, listen to this, everybody that would ever come to Jesus would come to him through the apostles' teaching. There's no new message. It's the same message that they preached. Aren't you grateful that someone's been faithful, even from the first century, to take the message, and when it moved into the second century, someone was faithful, and right on up into the 20th century in my life, Where somebody was faithful on a Sunday night. Emmy Gibson that's in heaven now to preach the gospel. So I'd have an opportunity to hear. And then it continues for us to be faithful. It's like a baton that's being passed. And no one by the grace of God thus far... There's not been a generation to drop it where there would not be a witness. And God will not be found without a witness. So through the centuries, all those who have preached a true gospel have preached the apostles' words that were given to them through the Lord. That encourages me for this reason. The gospel continues to prevail despite our weaknesses, the world's hatred, Satan's opposition. Empowered by the Spirit of God, the Word of God still goes forth. And Jesus is praying, God give them unity. But there's also the partnership of unity in verse 21. And that is despite their outward differences, call it denominational differences. All true Christians are spiritually united by their belief in salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, and their commitment to the absolute authority of scripture. D.A. Carson notes that the unity for which Christ prayed, he said this, and I quote, is not achieved by hunting enthusiastically for the lowest common theological denominator, but by common adherence to the apostolic gospel, uh, by love that is joyfully self-sacrificing, by undaunted commitment to the shared goals of the mission with which Jesus' followers have been charged. The Bible talks much about unity. In Ephesians chapter four, in verses four through six, uh, you know its meaning, but he simply reminds us of the features that the Holy Spirit of God creates within the body of Christ when he says it's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. Unity that the Spirit of God creates. We need unity in our own heart, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus, in our churches. And then even in our denomination to bring us together for the express purpose that we make Christ known in the nations. The practice of unity is seen in verse number 21 through 23. The nature of this unity Christ prayed for reflects that of the Father and the Son, which is expressed in his words. Listen to this. You, Father, are in me and I in you. It only stands to reason if the Father and the Son are one and is Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in the Lord Jesus, and Jesus is in me. I'm telling you, there is a a partnership that ought to lead to a practice of unity. Uh, We ought to be unified in motive. Uh, We ought to be committed to the glory of God. That's what John 17 is all about, that the Father would be glorified as the Son finishes his work. Here's the bottom line. The Father was glorified as the Son was obedient to his Father. And the Father is still glorified when his servants are submissive to their savior. And I desire in motive that God be glorified. So Jesus didn't seek his own glory, but for the father to be glorified. He was unified in mission. In verses two and four and six, he talks about how the father's given him glory to give eternal life. He's coming as the only true God whom the father has sent in order to make Jesus known. He's united in mission. God Its goal of redeeming the lost and granting them eternal life is the motive that God sends us with. They're united in truth. In verses 8 and 14, I've given them your word. God has given us his word. But then last of all, it speaks of the power of unity. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 23. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me. The world, the world pays no attention to churches that are not unified. When they're fussing and grumbling, the world, the, the people even begin to leave. And no one's coming in. You, you never hear of a church saying, you know, boy, we're fighting and fussing among ourselves. But I'm telling you, we've never seen so many people radically changed by the power of God. Just, you just never, never hear It's Always on the decline. And so the scripture says, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. The power of unity in the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus authenticates two realities. Number one, it evidences that the Father sent the Son. It's referring to the church's unity being the foundation of its evangelism. I I'm, am I'm telling you, a lot of times the reason a church aren't, is not reaching out is not unified within. I'm telling you, God brings unity within the context of the church. Instead of fussing over stuff that just doesn't matter, we're spending our time reaching those who are without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it demonstrates that Christ is the Savior who transforms lives. Here's the bottom line. The gospel that we preach becomes more believable to the community in which we serve because they see the difference that he's made in transforming us. See, I've known some people that knew anything but unity until they got transformed by the power of God. And then there was submissiveness and unity in their heart. But last of all, it authenticates the Father's love for the believer. The effectiveness of the church's evangelism is devastated by dissension and disputes among its members. So it's got to be the goal of everyone who's part of the body of Christ through faith in him to do their part in maintaining the full visibility of the unity that believers possess. It's amazing how a church can be in a community. I remember when I first had a privilege to come here 26 years ago. Uh, we had 138 parking places. That was plenty for the number that was coming. And as we began to grow and started adding services and renting off-campus sites, I remember going across the street to a hardware store and saying, I noticed you're closed on Sunday. You got all this parking place. Can we use it? And they said, no. I thought, why can't we use it? And it was pretty obvious that we didn't have a very good name in the community. But God began to bring unity. And the Lord began to bless. And, and it really helped a lot when our people parked on the railroad tracks. And police officers had to come into service and tell us that we had stopped the train, that our people needed to move their cars. There was nowhere else to park. And then the hardware store, store decided that maybe they needed to let us use their parking place. But the bottom line is God had so unified the church and brought the church together that it became a greater witness, uh, an attraction, if you will. In the community where people came, we gave an opportunity to speak into their life. But we don't have that opportunity. We're not unified. May God bring such unity within the context of Southern Baptist. That even though we may differ on some things. I know we don't differ on the fact that people are lost. That Christ died for them. That people are on their way to hell and Jesus made a way for them, and we can make that message known, and we can stab this nation in the heart with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God help us to do it for Jesus' sake.